Cavalier fans, welcome to the first edition of the Believe in Cavs podcast, part of the Believe Network. I'm your host, Mike Angolano, and if that name sounds familiar, it's because I've been doing a Detroit Pistons podcast for the last five or so years. But we're moving on over to my Cleveland Cavaliers, getting to live in downtown Cleveland, growing up in Cleveland. Um, it's a dream come true to get to now podcast about the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, and joining me from here on out, I hope, uh, is a very special uh, guest, former Cleveland Cavalier, former Ohio State Buckeye, and that would be point guard Derek Anderson. Derek, DA, how are you doing? Joining me for the first time on the Believe in Cavs podcast. We've been talking a lot about this. I've been uh, working with Believe on this for a while. Really happy to have you. How are you doing? Man, I am great. I'm excited about the show, excited about uh, the new journey we're on, and I will, I will be here. DA, you, you have a unique um, experience being an actual player. You know, we, we have a lot of, a lot of podcasts now of people wanting to talk, people wanting to, you know, look at things from the outside and try to determine what's happening inside, but you have more firsthand experience. You want to give um, all of our listeners a little bit of, a little bit about yourself. You know, po- podcasting has really caught on a lot more the last five or so years, you know, wasn't quite what it was when, you know, when you were playing, um, so I, I want to introduce yourself and, and, and all, all of the things that you did and currently do for, um, the NBA. So you just want to riff, uh, for a few minutes on that. Uh, well, for me, as I was fortunate enough to make it to the NBA, uh, played 11 years. And from what I've gathered is basically they give you an opportunity to showcase who you are as a skills and also as a person, you can look sometimes at the NBA and be like, that guy is really not maybe better than some of the guys you've seen, but because of his personality, his work ethic, and uh, his drive, he makes it. He, he makes a career, uh, a successful career cho- uh, choice. And I think now looking at this uh, new generation of social media and everything that's going on, it's just another form of opportunities that our young people are able to get. Uh, some seize it, some kind of. Uh, distract themselves away from what their potential career could be. But in, in all, you get an opportunity to showcase who you are. Uh, I'm now the mental health wellness counselor for the uh, National Players Association, NBA Players Association. And what we do is try to help guys transition before the NBA, during the NBA, and after the NBA. So uh, I'm excited to still be around the game that I love so much. It's done so much for me and my family. And uh, I'm just looking forward to it, man. Just hopefully this podcast and what we're doing can enhance people and join the let the fans see it from a different perspective where we're I'm giving them more information on the inside than just them watching. So I'm excited, man. Ready to go. Yeah, that is awesome. And and I can't wait to hear all about your experience. You spent a lot of time in the league, you know, like you said, very fortunate to have a long career in the NBA and then, of course, continue that and be able to sort of give back to the next generation is what I think a lot of a lot of players strive for you know they want to be able to give back and you know to the to the game that has given them their career so I can't wait to hear all about uh, your experience your time and especially in getting to talking about the draft like we are today you know maybe some tidbits about your your time um, leading up to the draft and that that really stressful time 
um, I'm, I'm sure there's, there's gotta be anxiety, uh, you know, up, up the wall, uh, leading up to getting drafted. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty intense and you, and you have to deal with a lot, you know, you try to get your, your family and your friends around, you try to make sure you're in shape still, you try to just do everything. I mean, you even worrying about getting your suit right. Like you'll have to be dealing with people on the phone, like, oh, that's not the right size. You go get a size. It's like the little things are just the nerve wracking thing. It's like, it's like going to prom, going to the state championship. It's like everything all rolled in one. Uh, but it, it was exciting journey. It's one of those things like if you get in your first job or, you know, something happening where you know it's a transition to your life and you're just ready to go, first day of school type of, of feeling. And man, it was um, it was one of those things you also re reflected back on everything that you've done in your life. You look back and be like, wow, man, this is this is actually about to happen. And you start to appreciate things. Uh, when I signed to Ohio State, um, my first two years, I tell everybody those are the greatest times of my life because I was able to be a young man. I enjoyed the game of basketball. I was around a lot of other people in Cleveland were great people. Uh, Mark Masser and the Masser family became great friends of mine. And I just gravitated to the city of Columbus and Ohio. And then to get drafted by Cleveland, I was back in Ohio. <laughs> I was like, it was just an awarded, uh, a gracious uh, opportunity, man, to, to join a, a fan base like that. That is that is so awesome. Yeah, <laughs> being in Columbus and then getting and then getting drafted uh, by the Cavaliers. There, there's a you know, Karis Levert said something very similar because he is from the Columbus area and, and he was super excited to come and play for the Cavs. You know, I think there's just a connection that that you know gets developed and uh, something something about it um that is that is awesome we are going to talk more about the draft of course we're leading up to the nba draft here this upcoming thursday the cavaliers pick 14th seems like it's a top three heavy draft um not as in like you know those are the clear-cut three best players but for the most part at least for the last two months or so it seems like the top three three picks have been pegged for a while with jabari smith chet holmgren um, and Paolo Bancaro. So we're going to get back to the NBA draft. Uh, the Cavaliers are picking 14th. We kind of anticipate they were picking super late lottery. It'd be nice if they weren't picking in the lottery, uh, but of course they couldn't get it done in, in the, in the play in. So at picking 14, now that's really an area of the draft that, you know, I've talked to some other people, the Cavs could go in like 20, 20 different directions um, they could trade that pick. They could select best player available. They could select for fit. They could try to move back. And, and there was a report from Hoops Hype uh, that said that the Cavs were exploring trading back to try to collect another asset down the road. So before we get into anything too, too heavy on that, DA, what, do you, what is your sort of um, feeling on that, that kind of middle ground? Like, do you think that the draft is like top five pretty much figured out that Jay Nivey is going fourth and then five is, is the kind of breaking point, or you think uh, six, seven, eight, nine is kind of the breaking point where it could get really wonky. What are, what are your thoughts on the top 10? Well, I think when you look at basketball, man, you can never project certain players because their work ethic and their development can overchange, uh, can, can change over a period of time uh, from looking at colleges and you look at, and what people don't realize, like, Certain players are really better in the pros because it's an open floor. You don't have zones. You get to showcase your skills. A lot of people don't see that. They be like, oh, he wasn't that good in college. But then when he goes to the pros, 
he's actually able to showcase what he is, which is a one-on-one skilled player. So I never, I never get caught up in the in the depth of a draft. I look at some of what these guys can bring, but again, some of them are not going to work as hard. Like if you look at uh, the Greek freak, I mean that guy just works hard, and you know no one projected him to be as good as he was, but because he worked. And I think that's guess is probably one of those drafts where you look at most of these guys, they're decent, they're they're decent skills, but they have like motors and basketball athleticism that can match the NBA. So I wouldn't say it's a it's a a level of uh, basically where the draft kind of ends with top talent players. I just look at it from a standpoint of how many players are different. A lot these these last few years have been a lot of a lot of guard heavy drafts, and you're not having a lot of skilled big men who can rebound, block shots. Uh, and if you haven't noticed, most of the MVPs have been taller players. Uh, and I think they they have to realize the bigger players you get, the better talent you're going to have for your teams to be successful. So that's very interesting because the top three of this draft, or at least the projected top three that have been talked about for, like I said, two months now between Jabari <laughs> Smith, Chet Holmgren, um, Paolo Bancaro. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, they are tall. I mean, Chet is, I mean, he's the very definition of, of tall and wiry. Um, and there are a lot of concerns about that, um, about, uh, you know, his, his weight, you know, yeah. That's been a point of contention because that that was an interesting interesting thing with Evan Mobley last year. There there were teams that were unsure of you know Evan Mobley because he is more slight of frame. When teams look at prospects, I mean, obviously us arm like me arm you know armchair GMs, and as a Cleveland <laughs> sports fan, Cleveland sports fans love to be armchair GMs, no matter if they're talking about the Dolans and the Guardians or if they're talking about uh, the Browns uh, for you know, the last 20 or so years now, you know, how, how do teams look at prospects and, you know, evaluate some of those things like, like weight or like slight frame or, or, or they don't quite have, you know, muscle is, is that like totally not even taken into account because they can always put on weight or, you know, they trust their training departments. Well, I think it's a variation. It's a, uh, depending on who your, your GM is, he'll need to know from watching that kid or watching, uh, how aggressive he plays because gaining weight, but don't play aggressive doesn't equal up. If he's playing hard and he's playing aggressive and he's trying, you can put weight on him. So again, uh, general managers, good scouting that's required for you to make that decision. Cause watching a game or two is not going to actually justify it. Cause what if he's in foul trouble? What if he's not playing in the right position? Sure. In the right time? So there are things that come into play. And I think that's what we need to do is to make sure we figure the, the general managers figure that out. But on the other end is also, if the guy's skilled enough to play a position uh, in the league, like if he's able to switch, you know, a lot of coaches be like, Hey, you switch onto this other guy. Could he actually guard a two or a three on the wing sometimes just because they're switching. And if he can't fit that, he has slow feet or something that, that uh, magnitude. Now you have to make a different decision. Do I get a skilled shot blocker or do I go get a skilled player like a Chet Holmgren? And I think that's a situation again with general managers and, Again, being a former player, man, I can see a lot of things that a lot of people may not see because you can see a guy's work ethic. You can see him watching his foot, footwork. Uh, just watch how a guy goes and tries to block out, block out. He'll go look at the ball. The ball goes up and you say, well, he doesn't pay attention. And if he's not heavy or strong or athletic enough to get it, someone else will get it. Like if you put Chet up against uh, Mobley right now, Mobley will probably physically beat him. But I think Chet plays so hard and smart that he'll try to box him out at least. So I think there's variations to it. And I think right now you have to figure out for, for general managers, like what fits 
your team best from a skill set now position. Not just so much as like, okay, three or four years from now, because development now, you go to G League and a lot of these guys are learning bad habits. Just shooting, a, some guards shooting all the balls, so your big man never develops. <laughs> so uh, right. you, really have to, you really have to focus on what's good. And I think with Cleveland is they're going to have to figure out what's the best for now. I don't think projecting and grab, grabbing a kid um, that you can work with like later is going to actually help. So trading a pick probably would be best unless you get something really good, best available, Johnny Davis type of players. Because uh, right now the backcourts are young and developing great. Uh, some of the guys' pieces we have, a, me- a mixture of veterans. Uh, but I think you probably can get another solid piece with a trade with a with a draft pick uh, trade. Da, you you must be a podcast veteran because that is a master class of a segue um, <laughs> to what the Cavaliers should do at fourteen, and and there are a ton of different ways um, in which they can go. They've been mocked a ton of players, and you know I talked about recently on one of our Palace of Pistons podcast episodes because the Pistons at five are in that really weird. Not probably not going to get Jaden Ivy, but they might get Jaden Ivy sort of turn in the draft of how mocks just don't really do any justice. You know, it doesn't take into account trades. It doesn't take into account the things that you are talking about, you know, work ethic and and, and things like that, that, that uh, you know, don't show up on a stat sheet. So the Cavaliers at 14, I tend to agree. They, they are looking to make the playoffs. They're not looking to, you know, get another project type of player that they're going to have to spend the next several years, um, you know, grooming to be the next small forward in 2028. So you mentioned a couple of players there at 14. Are there any particular prospects that you like that if they're there at 14, the Cavs got to jump on it? Well, again, I think it's one of those things where you look at like, what are we trying to get done? You know what I mean? Like what values do we have? We got good shooters. We got good players. Getting a couple bench players would be good. But you don't know where people are going to fall. You know, if you get that opportunity, like like I said, if you get a, a Johnny Davis, a Benedict, Mathurin, um, I think if you can get some of those guys at a later thing, I think they'll be good ad pieces. They'll give you some energy. They'll give you some IQ plays. Um, in case someone gets hurt again, I think you'll have a good feeling. Um, but then what if some players fall? You know, like uh, Dyson Daniels, like if he falls and someone says, hey, he's a good opportunity to make us – to help the players get better. 6'6 kid. Um pretty athletic. So I think you can add certain pieces, but you also have to realize again, what are you trying to do this year? What are you trying to do next year? Are you going to have value or are right. you going to be stuck? Cause you don't want to get stuck and give too much out. And then you, you have an empty cupboard again for a couple of years when it's time to resign guys and they go choose to go others, other places. So you want to also make sure you're prepared uh, for moving forward with the future. Yeah. I, I think if Dyson Daniels is there at 14, um, the Cavs are most definitely selecting him he started to kind of move up draft boards and, and Ben yeah. Mather and I'd be really surprised if he was there at 14. I feel like he's getting some recognition to Miami or to uh, Indiana at, at six. He's starting to move up a lot faster. You know, the other side of the coin then is of course trading. And um, I think it should be on the table, but I'm kind of with you that, you know, it's, it's a fine tightrope to walk. You know, if you're going to get a quality player right now, it helps right now, preferably a wing, because I think that's the area that the yep. Cavs are most in need of. Centers, you, you got bigs. <laughs> you, yeah, you don't have need that. Yeah, yeah. Right. Don't need that. You know, guards, I mean, we'll see what Sexton looks like after surgery, but, 
you know, in, in this latest article from uh, Sam Sharani of The Athletic, he's been fully cleared, Sexton been fully cleared for basketball activities. He seems fine. Um, he is a restricted free agent, so that is going to muddle some things a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I still expect him to sign with the Cavs and, and for the Cavs to keep him, whether they match or, or sign him outright. So the backcourt is, you know, probably need a backup point guard, but I don't know if you want to give that to a young guy right off the bat when you're trying to win, you probably want to find it that wing would be the area where I'd look. And that's the most coveted position in basketball right now is, uh, is a three and D wing. You yeah. can, you know, body up on the perimeter if he needs to and knock down shots and, and the Cavs are no different. So are there any players that you would be targeting with 14? And, and obviously the Cavs can't, tr- can't actually trade this pick outright because of the stepping rule, they have to pick on behalf of that team and then trade that player to that team. So other than the little, you know, stepping rule workaround, are, are there any guys that you think the Cavs should really be looking at if they're available? I mean, I know that Jeremy Grant has come up a lot in trade talks. Um, the Cavs had shown some some interest in him, and, and he certainly fits that as a as a wing. Any any players that you feel the Cavs should be targeting or, or trying to uh, poke around with with that 14th pick? Well, you have to realize sometimes when you talk about where they can get a guy and they're going after a guy, where's that guy going to fit and he's going to fit our cap? And I think when you start to think about that, there's not a lot of guys out there who are who aren't already solid and ready to go. And if we're getting younger guys that's coming in from the draft, like an A.J. Uh, Griffin, you know, six six kid could play the wing. He's going to go against the uh, the DeMar Rosens and some of the guys in the, in the, in the Tatums and all those guys. You're going to want a guy with size and skill set to go back at him. And I think that's what we ought to be looking for. I think we, we're still trying to put stuff in perspective where you say, hey, we want this guy to be this way and we want him that. It's not going to always fit. So I would start looking for guys, even in the, out of the G League draft, but I don't have a certain guy because there's so many guys that you can put in that role if he can play that way. And, you know, our guy, our, our plays that we guard, uh, players, like you said, is Sexton, those guys guard heavy. Even with Darius and uh, I mean, uh, Rajon when they were here, they were just guys that were attacking. Now that we now, we need shooters. We need knockdown two-guard shooters, two-way players, and I think that's what you need. Yeah, a knockdown shooter would be fantastic. <laughs> yeah, knockdown. Um, yeah, garb. And, and he can go back at him. You kind of want to mix, you know, with Tatum and, and Brown and, you know, the East Coast guys with Middleton and some of those guys. I'm like, all the, everybody has two guys, most guys who can play both ways. And I think to be successful in the East, we have to have a guy who can go both ways. Can't just get a regular shooter. You know, we, we, we can't just keep doing that. I think we need to get a two-way player that can knock down an open jump shot and can play – uh, some solid defense on the other end with, a phys- with physicality as well. Right. Absolutely. And, um, you know, bringing Colin Sexton back in into the fold, which, again, I, I, I do think is going to happen. I, he, you know, you saw late in the season there against the Nets in the play and, yeah. and really down the stretch that they really missed Colin's just relentless pursuit of the basket. <laughs> I mean, yeah. just put his head down finds a way to get to the rack and and finish or kick it out. They really missed that. So reintegrating him into a starting lineup, in addition to a young guy, you know, there's going to be some challenges there as well. There's a ton of players that could be there for the Cavs that would be beneficial right now. There's a lot of guys that are flying up draft boards. Let's just take apart a the, the Cavs um, 
uh, lens for, for a moment. Is there any particular prospect in a vacuum, in this draft, that you think is going to be, you know, that dark horse that, that flies up and makes a huge impact? Scotty Barnes would be a comparison because I don't think, you know, he was obviously a high draft pick last year, but he wasn't part of that core three of Jalen Green, Kate Cunningham, and Evan Mobley last year, but ended up winning Rookie of the Year. Are there any prospects that, based on what you've seen, um, that has that sort of potential to just fly up a draft board and, uh, you know, have an immediate high-end impact? I think EJ uh, uh, Liddell from Ohio State, I think he has a good chance because people don't realize that he was getting double teamed and crowded, but he could actually shoot, dribble, face up. Uh, I think he's one of those guys that people are going to really sleep on it and he moves up and people see him play in the open court. I think they'll be really surprised. Um, he's not, he's about six, 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 seven at most, but that's a good skilled player at that position. Again, like, like the, the three men that you have in the East, those are skilled players of size. And I think EJ is one of those kids that could be just like that. He'll surprise people kind of like the uh, Jalen Brown did for Boston. Like people didn't know where he was coming from. Didn't know he was going to develop as fast as he did. So he's the guy I'm, I'm looking uh, to, to move up on the drafts and shock some people. Boy, you are really going to uh, be endearing to a lot of our listeners here with picking uh, EJ Liddell. Yeah, <laughs> that's, there, the truth. That's, the, that's the truth. It's not just a fan thing. It's sure when you look at, when you look at the draft and you look at these players. He's actually a great player and everyone knows it. Like he was getting double teamed sometimes and other guys. And that's a good team. I'll stay at a good team. And I think when you get in double team on a good team, that lets you know that you're you're really a centerpiece on how skilled you are. Oh, ab- absolutely. Is is that a guy, like, I haven't seen him mocked quite high to 14, but throwing out mocks, you know, is is that a guy that the Cavs should, you know, should realistic, realistically be looking at, you know, at, at 14? Or is that too, quote unquote, too early? Well, it depends on who goes first. You know, like I said, a Johnny Davis is a good, solid player. It could go both ways, plays defense and offense, skilled. Um, but if that doesn't work, someone gets him. Uh, you're going to have to take a chance on someone else anyway. And I think when you take chances, you take chances on players you know they can do certain things at that level. And we know he can actually score at that level and, and play solid defense. Now, guarding twos and threes, I haven't seen it yet. You know, but his, his position of three and fours, I know he can do that. The stretches, the pick and rolls, good coverage, uh, solid footwork. So I think those things uh, he, he's able to do. It's just a matter of making sure that he, that, that uh, other guys who may be available, they can't do what he can do, that you pick him over those guys. Don't go off of something just off of somebody's height. You go off of it from what this guy's able to bring to the team. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And, um, you know, the Cavs are a, a young team with a good mix of veterans who really stabilized the younger guys down the stretch, really yeah. leading up to the All-Star break. Yeah, I, I, I talked with Channing Fry. Um, <laughs> just ahead of the all-star game. And, you know, he gave big praise to J.B. Bickerstaff and Kevin Love and, you know, Ricky Rubio, a lot of those vets that really kept the young guys, you know, in in control and in, and, and in check. So I think, you know, you have mentioned this a few times already, but bringing in a guy that fits, you know, yeah. from a teammate perspective, from a, you know, I'm, I'm going to go to battle with these guys, 82 times a year creating that camaraderie super important you know as well um and i i definitely think that they have the infrastructure to take in just about any prospect that um 
that uh, you know that they that they pick. You know, they have the infrastructure there to to create a conducive environment. Um, something I, I don't know if they could have done a few years ago when there was some turmoil with the head coach and um, and whatnot. So, all right, DA, let's get back to the draft just briefly here um, and go through a little bit of a a little bit of a mock. We're going to go through first maybe ten or so picks and then um, see see where we stand uh, heading into the back end of the lottery. There, there's been a lot of talk about the prospects after the top three. Um, are you sort of in alignment about Jabari Smith, Paolo Banquero, and Chet being one, one, two, three? Um, you know, it's kind of a, uh, I guess, a pick and play type of thing because they're all going to play because they've been picked early. They're all going to have to have significant uh, impacts when they get there. Uh, I just see Jabari Smith as a very, very skilled scorer, like a KD, a young version. So does Orlando and some of these picks say, you know what, I need that guy to come in and score regardless. Um, Chet's more of an all-around role player, not role player, but all-around player that can get stuff done. Uh, not sure that he's a volume scorer, so I don't think he'll be, you know, the guy comes in, averages 25 and 30 a night. He'll, you know, wear down physically. Uh, but I think in the future he'll be really good. Um, and Palo, Palo, I think he's one of those guys who's just going to – he's a volume shooter, but he's so skilled – do you come in and say, hey, we're going to give this guy a green light and the ball and just let him and try to win us some games? So for me, is I just figure out, you know, what, what team's going to use him and for what reason? Again, you want to know, like Orlando, if you don't have a lot of pieces, get you a score, get you a Jabari. Uh, I even like the kid Jaden Ivy. If you can get you a solid score and go put in uh, work, I think that will be something that was really significant for that team. But then some other teams really need to add pieces to make their team better. So everybody, again, those general managers really have to make the decision. Am I needing this guy to score? Am I needing him to make our team better? What do, what do we need from that? So I honestly would say Chet should go, uh, Jabari should go uh, one because his skill set is really, really pro-ready. If you look at this guy's footwork, his shot fakes, his jab steps, his pull-ups, his mid-range, everything he has is skilled. And I think that's what they need is someone who's a skilled player that can actually get him over the hump. Yeah, he's fantastic. And he's only met with Orlando. I think he is going to be with Oklahoma City this week, but he's only met with really yeah. the magic as of right now. So it seems penciled in that he'll go number one overall. And he is very skilled. Um, yes. He is, he, he's got a lot of those moves. And um, the magic really need, they should be taking the best player available. I don't know what is going to stick on that roster other than Jalen Suggs and Wendell Carter. You know, you don't know what you're going to get out of Jonathan Isaac. You don't know what you're going to get out of Markel Fultz. Cole Anthony's okay. Um, so Jabari Smith makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Chet and Paolo. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah. go ahead. No, I say he fills that void of, of a team. It's that, that player that can go get it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, which they haven't had for uh, a while. Oh, yeah, yeah a while. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's 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 been a hot minute. So. And then Chet yeah. and Paolo, two and three, I think makes the most sense. There's been some talk of, you know, the Thunder being really in on Jaden Ivey. There's also been mm -hmm. some talk that they want to move up to four to pick Jaden Ivey because they're pretty sure that if, if they select Chet two, then Paolo goes three, they'll have Jaden Ivey at four. And, and Sacramento has really been the, the, the crux of the draft for many years. You know, we don't have to talk about all the issues that the Kings have had in selecting draft picks. We don't have that long of a show. Um, but 
they being at four, they they're in a similar spot to the Cavaliers. They're trying to make the play in tournament and the playoffs immediately. They've been trying to do that for really since De'Aaron Fox was drafted, it seems. There was a report today from the athletic that the Kings are probably going to pick four because they have the cost of that fourth pick so high. So it seems like they'll, they'll pick four. Do, do you have any sort of reservations about the Kings uh, who already have Davion Mitchell and De'Aaron Fox selecting Jaden Ivey? You know, this is a really interesting thing that, that I'd love to hear your opinion on. GMs and teams, you know, when teams evaluate, is there any consideration for positional overlap? Or do these teams just say, just get me the best player? Is that dependent on if they're trying to make the playoffs like the Cavs are going for fit? You know, really, really this question is fit versus, you know, best player available. Well, again, you have to realize who the general managers are. Uh, I don't I don't knock any of them. Everyone's got their own skill set. But for me, I think if you don't understand what you're trying to do at this moment, you're going to just pick just based upon emotion or just, you know, just what's available. You're not picking a fit. And I think that's the difference. When you're doing this right now, you should be looking at like, hey, if, if I'm Sacramento or if I'm anybody, it's not an overlap. It's what my future looks like. If you know that your, your point guard, like say if De'Aaron Fox doesn't want to be there, you got to trade. Now you don't have anybody to replace him uh, because he's unhappy. You know, the, some things you just don't see coming. Um, like the James Harden, you didn't see that coming. Just get the, to Brooklyn and all of a sudden he's demanding a trade. You didn't see that coming. But you did see certain situations with other players coming and you weren't prepared. So I don't think there's an overlap, the overload, unless you're just drafting the same type of player. Like a Jay Nivey would be perfectly fine because, you, you know, you can play small ball with him and he can score. Uh, Aaron Fox can score. I think you, you that's not an overlap. But if you're really trying to win, maybe trade and get you a big guy. You know, go get you a guy that's going to bring value to your team. Give up your first, your pick, this pick next year, and you start to develop a team that's going to actually be winning games. So again, it's up to the general manager, man. But I, I honestly think if you're watching the game, you can't you can't just sit there and think, "Hey, we're going to be okay because we picked the best available." Because the best available might leave you too, and we've seen that come it come and go. So guys, just hey, I'm going to go somewhere else and play a bigger market, whatnot. You didn't waste two years of draft pick, great draft picks. <laughs> but then all of a sudden they're gone and now you're, you're you right. find yourself keep re, uh, retooling the shed and i think that's the difference so uh, i think it's up to the general manager if they can get it uh right more than not i think that your team is uh your team's got a chance but there's no such thing as overload again unless you're drafting the same type of players like the knicks did well but they had six same forwards at the same position and they still almost made the play and they and they made the playoffs with that roster they, they could have yeah. got another they could have got another player instead of that one of those guys they weren't using and traded and got a guard that could shoot and probably helped them beat that uh, Atlanta Hawks team that they lost to in the playoffs. Yeah, they went really heavy on forward. Um, oh, my goodness. They made the playoffs. They did They did make the playoffs. And, and without Obi Toppin really being a super impactful player that year, you know, he came in yep. off the bench in short spurts and, you know, didn't, didn't make a huge – Julius Randle was otherworldly for you know that entire year he he was playing out of his mind and he went from most improved player to Knicks fans trying desperately to include him in any trade they can and that's how fast it operates in the uh in the league <laughs> this is a what have you done for me lately kind of league 
Okay. All right. That's that's very interesting because I know that I've seen a lot of people say that the King should take Jaden Ivey because he's very similar to Deer and Fox. And, you know, Davion Mitchell was just drafted and they just got rid of Tyrese Halliburton, which. Mm-hmm. Shocking. Know, yes. It came out of nowhere. All of a sudden Tyrese is available and, you know, Indiana jumps all over it. So, okay. Very interesting. Um, what about that, you know, that five to 10 range Keegan Murray to the Pistons has gained a lot of traction. Um, ben Matherin has gained yeah. a lot of traction, um, and I and I do like him a lot. Dyson Daniels. Um, so that five to ten range. Do you have any any thoughts on that on that maybe five to twelve uh, range of you know of of guys and and what fits for what team? Well, again, man, if you look at this draft, you're going to base your potentials once you get to that area of guys that you say, you know what, what can they actually help me do right now? Like a Jeremy Sachin from Baylor, he could even move up because of his size at 6'9". You know, I think that's a right. situation a lot of guys aren't, aren't paying attention to. Some skilled guys that can do some things. The, uh, the kid from France, Dean, I think him being 6'9", actually can move up. And you could get Jalen Durant from Memphis can move up because he's a shot blocker. He's a skilled player. You got guards. Um, but now you get another guy who can come in and, and change the course on the defensive end. Uh, he's not a bad offensive player at all. He just didn't get a lot of opportunities in Memphis. But he got a shot blocker, good size, good run the floor. Uh, you got young guys, uh, Cape, uh, McCown, all those guys. I just think you need to fit pieces that can actually be developed and play right now. Don't don't go get some of these young guys and say we're going to develop them. You've been developing too long now. <laughs> it's time to get some guys that can be impact players. Right. And, you know, the the Oklahoma City Thunder are like the biggest um, culprits of this. Just keep grabbing player after player and draft pick after draft pick. I mean, when they took all those draft picks from the Clippers for Paul George, and then they've just been continuously adding picks constantly. You know, there is a point where you have to stop developing and start moving to winning. Right. Yeah. 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 And, you know, right. Like building. And there are some teams in that range of five to 10, five to 14, really, of, of, you know, teams that are trying to win now. The Portland Trailblazers at seven, their, their time is ticking with, uh, you know, with, um, with Dame. Um, The New Orleans Pelicans at eight, they want to win. They're going to get Zion back. Um, the Cavs at 14, you know, the Hornets as well. They, they are, are not super excited with, with how their last season went and, and they need a big man in the worst possible way. So, you know, there's a lot of really interesting teams. There's a lot of really interesting teams that need some, need, need some juice to get back into the playoffs. And really the Pelicans probably just need the infusion of Zion Williamson back into their lineup. And, and that's, that's probably their big move of the off season. Yeah. Charlotte, Charlotte is in an interesting position because they was hiring a coach from uh golden state and he just, Said he's not going now. <laughs> yes. So it's like you got to retool, but Charlotte has the most con- most situation to win now. If they can get a solid coach and a solid one more one more uh, player uh, at the wing position or, or slash big guy that can guard the rim, um, I think that's the situation that they're in. But I look at I look at like the Washington. I don't know if they until they change their their top head organization. I don't know if they're going to do anything. Of course, we know the Knicks, they're going to do what they do. They're going to excite you. And then all of a sudden just be like, eh, we're going to keep doing what we're doing. <laughs> Everybody do whatever they want. Portland's on a, on a time clock as well. 
you see Nike was trying, Phil Knight was trying to uh, buy uh, Portland. And I think that was a unique situation that he was, he realized they need help. And uh, of course, Indiana's trying to develop a lot of these teams on here, but I think the team that has the least to, uh, to, to worry about is the new New Orleans Pelicans, whoever they get, is going to be an added bonus for them because who, if they can get someone that can actually shoot, knock down shots with those type of players they have. And then like I said, Zion's coming back. People can't double the lane on him. Uh, you get a big guy and he can throw alley-oops to him. Um, like I said, I would get someone, if I was New Orleans, I would go get the kid uh, from Memphis, the Jalen Duran. Like if, if Zion's on one side and he's on the other, he would be a problem. Like that would be a good backcourt where you got CJ and all those other guys playing in the backcourt or get you a good size shooter. Um, that's what you need for them. But I think they they have the biggest upside in this draft between 5 and 14 besides Cleveland. Uh, if Cleveland can get that small forward and guy that can shoot and spray the floor and play defense, that will be a great fit for the guard play that we have coming with our bigs. Yes. Yes, the guard the guard play I'm very I'm very excited to see how it looks with DG and Colin back, you know, cuz Darius just took this enormous leap. This huge leap. Evan and Evan Mobley yep. is a star. You know, he's a he's a stud. I think that, that that wing spot is really, really crucial. And the guy from Kansas, Ogbaji, I think, a little bit older. Seemed, I mean, he was great in the tournament. Um, fits kind of what the Cavs need in terms of a shooter can come in and make an immediate impact type of guy. You know, that's more of what the Cavs, you know, really could need. But I, I, I do like Johnny Davis as well. This will kind of lead us into our last sort of topic here is about who the Cavs are going to pick at 14. I like Ogbaji. I like Johnny Davis. You know, if some of these guys fall, Dyson Daniels will be excellent. He's just, you know, athletic as, as hell. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, you can never have enough of it. Good, good defender. Seems like an okay playmaker. His shooting is quite suspect. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, his splits with the Ignite were not, they were not good. Well, we'll put it that way. They, they were not good. I think he shot like under 50% from the free throw line. Um, so it's difficult with him, but if he's there, obviously the Cavs are going to be in on it. And the same thing with Ding. The Cavs would love to have him there at 14. I, I don't think he makes it to 14, but right. they would really love for him to be there at 14. So they have a lot of different choices. Um to make and you know who to pick, but um, you have any other thoughts on on who the Cavs should be taking at fourteen? I'm really not. I think it's it's up in the air again. It's how those kids develop. Uh, we put so much trust, and if you look at all these kids that are graduating or coming out, they're freshmen, freshmen, sophomores, freshmen, sophomores. So they mentally haven't even gotten the whole grasp of the game yet. Some of them, some of them may have, but they're so young. So when you come into a sport where guys have been playing for 10 years already, eight to 10 years, it's a different. So the mentality is we have to find a guy who's mentally tough and is going to give you everything they have every night. And I think that's what you have to do as a general manager is find that. Um, stop going off of hype, going off, go off of skills, go off of effort. Because, you know, we played, man, I mean, we had guys that just really played hard. You might not even known a whole lot about them, but they were really good in college, but they still played hard even if we asked them to, to play defense. You asked them to do certain things. I came from Kentucky uh, and played, you know, both ends. So when I got to the Cavs, I was asked to guard Reggie Miller, Michael Jordan. When I first got into the NBA, I guarded Clyde Drexler, uh, 
uh, Reggie Miller, Michael Jordan, Allen Iverson, Rich, uh, Ray Allen, uh, Mitch Richmond. And I was like, man, this is tough. But then I also went back at him because I could play offense. So when you look at this, this draft, you got to find guys that can go both ways. Uh, play hard defense, do your job on offense, and be a great teammate. So um, I don't have a certain guy. Like I said, I like EJ. He'd be a great size for uh, for the Cavs. But I don't I don't see a lot of opportunities uh, that you can guarantee a great pick. So, you know, nothing else. you got to win now, too. This might be a time to trade up, trade with someone like a – uh, Sacramento, someone like that, and get you a better pick. You know, um, I want to hear more about <laughs> your rookie season, <laughs> having to come in and, and guard. You know, I, I think you just rattled off six Hall of Famers. Exactly. Like it was like it, like it was no big deal. I'm like, I had to mute my mic and think, oh my goodness. I mean, and you said it was tough. I'm like, it's tough. That's like the understatement of the centuries. It's tough having to guard. Uh, some of those names. So I guess we'll wrap up this podcast. You know, I'm really interested in the whole process. You know, we only see what ESPN or NBA TV shows us as, you know, as part of the draft, but what was your experience playing at Ohio state playing at Kentucky? And then, you know, you're drafted 13th overall, you know, what was your experience throughout that whole draft process? Uh, man, it was, it was unique. But again, like I said, it was two sides to it. One side was the stress of what's going to happen. And the other side was I'm fortunate enough to even be here. I think once I started, I had to, I had to talk to the other one on my right shoulder said, hey, it's okay. And the other one was like, you don't know if it's okay. <laughs> and the, the stress was just like, man, are you going to make it? Are you going to not make it? You know, I tore both ACLs before I even went to the NBA. One on my left and one on my right. And I'm like, man, what's going to happen? And fortunate enough for me, I worked hard enough to get back and healthy. And I was just so thankful, man, to get that call. It's like, hey, you're going to get drafted. You're invited to the to the green room. And it's like, man, I'm actually going to get to the NBA. And I never dreamed of playing in the NBA. Uh, my life story of being, you know, homeless, like living in other people's houses. I was 12, being a single dad at 15 and 16, uh, to go on the way to college. Um, I just wanted to make sure I got a degree and got a good job. So when I started playing basketball and got to that point, everything was just like icing on the cake for me. And to getting that 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 opportunity, I was just like, wow. I'm stressed and I'm happy at the same time. I'm sweating and smiling at the same time. Uh, and I loved it, man. It was it was a great process. And these guys, young guys' lives are going to change, and hopefully they can uh, change their family lives as well. Wow, that that is, I I did not know about the the portion of your life growing up leading up to that. That is. Oh, yeah. That is wild. That is um wow. Yeah. In my wow, book, Stamina, I wrote a book called Stamina. That was a plug. <laughs> yes. And, and I wrote a book. It was just about, basically about my life and just how other people can overcome it. I've never drank alcohol, never smoked, never did drugs, never sold drugs. I never stole anything. I worked hard for everything I've gotten. And when I did that, I became successful in everything that I did. All the injuries I've had, I still kept working hard without complaining without getting in trouble, without doing mad decisions. I'm not perfect, but I knew I'd rather miss out than mess up. And I think that saved my career and, and made me have a better life. So uh, that's what a lot of these young guys are about to experience, and hopefully they can maintain. DA, that is, that is an awesome, awesome little uh, story there. And, and really, the the um, it's not a little story. It's a big story, and, and it's really important. And it's, again, something that, you know, the average NBA fan just doesn't take into account, you know, the injuries, okay, maybe 
maybe the average NBA fan sees, you know, the ACL injuries and, and knows that it's going to be difficult for that player, but it's all the other components of their lives that, that, that really makes it, um, really makes it more special. And, um, you know, it's the, it's the overcoming factor. And, you know, there, there are guys that are facing the injury um, problems, you know, AJ Griffin is now deemed a injury risk. And, you know, how is that going to change him and his life, you know, as, as well, he was a top, you know, eight prospect, six top six prospect injuries happen. And now, now, now his life is, you know, going to be altered. So those are, I can't wait to, you know, have more episodes of this podcast. We could talk about all these stories more in depth um, because there is a, there is a litany of um, things that I would love to ask you. Um, So, okay, great stuff. Uh, The NBA draft is on Thursday. We are both very excited for it. And I'm sure that you are as well. Um, So Cavs picking 14. It's going to be a lot of movement. We've already had stories coming out this morning about how the Nets and Kyrie Irving are at an impasse about a contract, how the Kings are, you know, trying to move the fourth pick. So there's going to be a ton of movement. Um, We can't wait to talk about it when we meet up again for this podcast. Um, Again, this was the first one. DA, how how do you feel? First, first podcast is now done. It's exciting, man. It's my first time ever doing it. Really? Uh, yeah, I've never done a podcast. Uh, oh, you killed it. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate that. I've been on one, but never done one to this magnitude. But I think it's good that people see an insight from a former player, been been there, uh, lived through it, um, seen it from the other side, and good, good experience to share with other people. A lot of fans are really passionate about these things, so we try to enhance them so they're not so passionate they overlook the truth. Uh, but it's glad that we can give them some insight and some good uh, basketball information. And hopefully they'd enjoyed it. And I can't wait for them to hear all of our podcasts moving forward. I think this was an excellent first episode. Um, so for our fans, uh, we are really excited to, to, to bring this to you, bring this different experience and bring a different perspective of the NBA um, to you. And, and we certainly are open to feedback as well. Um, you can find Believe on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter as well. Those will be in the show notes. You can find DA on Twitter as well. That will also be in um, the show notes. So for, for our first podcast, DA, not bad. I was very happy with it. And I look forward to doing this again every week with you. Um, Absolutely. Fa- fantastic. fantastic. I'm, I'm just glad I didn't scare you uh, uh, away or, or, you know, or anything. I was quite nervous leading up to this podcast, making sure I had everything figured out. Um, to make it as easy as possible. So I'm, I'm really glad that it went well. So oh, yeah, we're, we're going to do good, man. We're going to do great. So yeah. for my co-host, Derek Anderson, I am Mike Angolano. Thank you very much for joining us on this first edition of the Believe in Cavs podcast, part of the Believe Podcast Network. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Bet Online and Credit Karma as well. And again, that Bet Online uh, information, can get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit by using our promo code believe that's B L E A V. So for my co-host, once again, thank you so much for joining us on this first edition of the believe in Cavs podcast, and we will see you all next time. Cavaliers fans.